Welcome to the Same Side Selling Podcast, dedicated to modern sales and marketing, innovation, and leadership. Here's your host, Ian Altman. Welcome to the Same Side Selling Podcast. This is Ian Altman. My guest this episode is the legendary Bob Berg. For 30 years, he's helped companies, sales leaders, and their teams to more effectively communicate their values, sell at higher prices with less resistance, and grow their businesses. He's best known for his Wall Street Journal and Business Week bestseller, The Go-Giver, which he co-authored with John David Mann. It's been translated into 28 languages across the four books in The Go-Giver series. They've reached nearly 2 million copies. Bob is an advocate, supporter, and defender of the free enterprise system, believing that the amount of money one makes is directly proportional to how many people they serve. We're going to have a discussion about influence and human nature. Bob is a legend, and you're about to understand why. Here's my discussion with Bob Berg. Bob Berg, welcome back to the Same Side Selling Podcast. Brother Ian, always great to be with you. You know, this is, I, I've been looking forward to our discussion for, um, for a while now, and just, I, I always learn a tremendous amount from you, and I have high expectations that I'm sure will far be exceeded. Well, thank you. Like, likewise, I learn from you every time I speak with you as well. So it's always a, a, a mutually beneficial conversation. Yeah, but just le- learning random bits of profanity doesn't really count, Bob. Yeah, well, so. you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bob, can you start by sharing something surprising about you that our audience may not know, recognizing that many of our audience will know you quite well? Oh, well, thank you. Uh, Probably the most surprising thing, at least what people say is surprising, is when they they learn that I'm very much an introvert. Uh, I would just as soon not be around crowds other than when I'm speaking in front of them, which is, to me, a a whole different energy, a whole different thing. Uh, But uh, as most introverts, I would much rather be with just, you know, myself uh, or, you know, a few close friends. Um, And I, I... build my energy reserve or, or replenish my energy when I'm alone, as opposed to when I'm in crowds, which basically very much drains my energy. Yeah. Which, which is, which is fascinating because anybody who's ever seen you speak in front of an audience would never guess that because, you know, you convey this energy on stage that is really um, almost electric in terms of you inspire people in the room and then, you know, I just think that's, you know, it's a fascinating thing. I, as most people guess, am rather extroverted. Mm-hmm. So it's always amazing to me when, when I, when some of my dearest friends who are amazing speakers, we have better one-on-one conversations and they're way more comfortable than when we're in a crowd. Right. <laughs> so so I, I wanted to talk about this idea of influence and in human nature. Sure. And it's something that, um, you know, from the Go Giver series of books, and from from the concepts you teach about referrals, um, I mean, you're you're someone who I often look to for guidance on this. Even though people sometimes mistakenly come to me for guidance in this area, no, so, it's not mistaken <laughs> at all. So, what's 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 the greatest misconception that people have when it comes to influence? Well, you know, that, that's always a, such a great question. And I think it begins, in a sense, with the definition of influence. Uh, 
you know, you and I have discussed in the past how it's always so important to check our premises and define terms so that we're all, when we say influence, we're all talking about the same thing. You know, especially these days, influence is a a term that's so used, uh, used so often, it can be, you can have 10 different people all thinking different things about what influence means. So, so let's take this on, on two different levels. On a very, very basic level, influence can be defined simply as the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, usually within the context of a specific goal. That is influence by definition. Now, that's its definition, but I don't believe that that is its, its essence. Or its and, why, and why not? Tell me, tell me more. What do you mean? Well... Because the the essence of of influence, really being able to consistently move people to uh, a desired action, is not about is is really about pull as a, as opposed to push. Okay, uh, you know we we've all heard the saying, "How far can you push a rope?" And the answer is not very far, at least not very <laughs> fast or very e- effectively. Which is why great influencers don't push. You you never hear people say, wow, that David or that Mary, she is so influential. She has a lot of push with people. No, she has a lot of pull with people. That's the essence. That's the substance of influence. And this, this pull is an attraction. Great influencers attract people first to them and then to their ideas. And, you know, so, so the question is, well, how does this pull happen? How does that pull manifest itself? And it's through that influencer understanding a very bit. In fact, this is, if you go back to Dale Carnegie's classic, how to win friends and influence people. Sure. Uh, I believe that this was that the, the, the underlying premise of Mr. Carnegie's book was where he wrote, ultimately, people do things for their reasons not our reasons. And, and so, and one of the things that I want to make sure that people get from this, and it's something that obviously in, in your series of books um, with um, w- uh, on the go giver, you illustrate this perfectly, but I think that a lot of people in sales roles, and executive roles, about two thirds of our audience is CEOs and executives today um, on this podcast. And the other third are in sales or sales leadership roles. And, one of the things that I, I try to help make sure that people understand is that too often we're selling things without really being conscious of why the other person might need it or might not need it. And we're selling for our reasons instead of for their reasons. And, and I think that too often when that happens, all of a sudden we, we, have no choice but to feel like we're pushing something. And I think that notion of pull probably has a lot to do with, are you helping to draw someone to something that's already in their best interest? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I mean, you're, you're so right on the mark, which of course doesn't surprise me. This is, this is what you do. This is your, (laughs) this is your expertise. You know, when you think of your book, same side selling, I mean, what is that about? Yes, you're on the same side, but that's the side of the prospective customer. Correct. Because, you know, and I often say this when I speak at a sales conference, nobody's going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet. Exactly. Right. They're not going to buy from you because you need the money or even because you're a really nice person who believes in what you do. They're going to buy from you only because they believe they will be better off by doing so 
than by not doing so. And in the relatively free market-based economy in which most of us operate, when I say free market, I simply mean no one is forced to buy from you. Uh, uh, That's the only reason why they should buy, uh, because they believe they will benefit. Now, the great thing about this, Ian, is that means that that salesperson who understands this, who understands that they must move from an I focus or me focus to an other focus, looking to bring immense value to that other person, that's the person who's going to attain the the, the, the sale. Uh, you know, when you think about what is selling, it's discovering, which right there, that says a lot, right? Sure. Because, I mean, before you can add insight, you've still got to discover. Discovering what the other person wants, needs, or desires, and helping them to get it. That's perfect. I, I often I often share research that I've done with over 10,000 executives on how they make and approve decisions and the questions that they ask when someone says, gee, I want to spend money on this. And the questions they ask, the first question they ask is, what problem does this solve for us? Then they ask, why do I need it? Meaning, what happens if I don't solve that? And then what's the likely outcome? And very often what gets missed is that when, when I'm talking to somebody, oftentimes when I'm speaking, I'll bring someone on stage and say, okay, so tell me about a, tell me about a big opportunity you're pursuing that's been, that's been lingering for a long time. They tell me about it. It's okay. So why would that client buy from you right now? And they say, well, because I mean, I forecast this thing for a while and I've had eight meetings. I said, that's not a good reason. The fact that you want the sale and the fact that you've invested time is not a good reason for them to buy. Oh, that is, yeah, that is so funny. And yet it's so, so often, uh, you know, the thought process. So, so now we take that influencer, that person who can attract people to their ideas. Well, how? Because that person understands on a, a, both a head and intellectual level and a heart level that, that the person, again, is going to buy for their reason not yours. So they're going to ask questions of themselves first. And they're going to say, okay, so how does what I'm asking this person to do, how does it align with their goals? Yep. How does it align with their wants, needs, desires? How does it, how does what I want this other person to do, how does it align with their values? How does it solve a problem? How does it make their life better? How does it create? And so when we, when we look at that from the viewpoint, but then of course, we, we think we might think we know we really don't. And that's why we have to ask the right questions, which, sure. uh, you know, is, is the key. So, so Bob, this, this notion of influence and especially the way that you couch it really ties into human nature. So mm. it's less about business. It's less about, it's less about persuasion and really ties into human nature. So, so talk a little bit about that, that crossover from this idea of influence into really human nature. Well, it's all about human nature because remember, and, and you know, uh, uh, and we know that all things being equal or, or even close enough to equal, people will do business with and re- refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. Well, what makes a person like or even more importantly, trust another person? Well, they know they have their best interests at heart. Uh, it's humans doing business with other humans. I mean, that is what it is. So, so. Successful people in, they don't try and deny human nature, but rather honor and respect it, and they work within it. Um, and and 
understanding this means we understand that again, and I, I, you, I've said this three times already, and it, it, it just keeps coming back. People are going to do things. They're going to buy for their reasons, not ours. Um, when we understand this, it doesn't matter whether we think that's the way it should be. It's like the person who said they've already been through eight, you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Human sure. nature says that is not going to influence that other person's decision. Okay. Yes. So what will, what will, why, you know, when they, when, when, when they buy because it's in their best interest to do so, why is it in their best interest to do so? And a, a, a gentleman who I consider to be a real mentor of mine, uh, the late Harry Brown, talked about this, and, and he was a great uh, economist. He, he was a New York Times bestselling author for years on books on economics, on philosophy, on politics. I mean, it, brilliant, brilliant guy. And there was a book that he actually wrote back in the 60s. It was two manuscripts he wrote that he never apparently meant to publish because it never got published until after he passed away a little more than 10 years ago. And his, his, his widow found the, uh, these two brief manuscripts and shared them with someone who shared them with someone else. And they were independently uh, published. And this book, The Secret of Selling Anything, uh, he didn't name it that, but the person who, who, uh, who published it did, is probably the best book I have ever read in terms of understanding human nature and how it relates to the selling process. Uh, so again, it's, it's written in a lot of 1960s language. So I always say sure. to people, although he was not in any, any way a sexist, there's that language, you know, the 60s language sure. where the roles on the, so, so I ask people who read it to not be, uh, offended by any of that. And there's not much of it, but it's there a few places. So I sure. always, I always put that disclaimer there, but, but Harry pointed out that there are three concepts involving human nature that play into every single decision a person makes. There's three parts of this. Okay. First, number one, everyone seeks happiness. Now, this will be about the only time Harry in his teaching will ever use the word everyone or no one <laughs> because people are individuals, okay? Sure. And and in every other way, as Harry said, people are individuals. However, it's just human nature. It's how we're built. Everyone seeks happiness. Now, but we've got to go back to the definition of happiness because, again, what's happiness? That can be interpreted different ways. So Harry's definition of happiness was was the the same as the most dictionary definitions, and that is the mental feeling of well-being. Yep. Mental feeling of well-being. You know, I, I think we all have our own definitions of, of happiness. Uh, some we have put on paper and, and others we just kind of in our mind we think of when we think of happiness. But that's a, a definition we can all use, and especially for this. So everyone seeks happiness. Every decision someone makes is based on the fact that they believe it will bring them closer to happiness. Now, sure. people make mistakes. So not every act results in happiness, okay? Individuals make mistakes, but every act is designed to make that person happier. Yeah, and it's and it's and it's not the notion of they're being jubilant, this and that. It's about saying, okay, I'm comfortable that I'm in a good place. Right. That, the that, mental that, feeling that, of well being. Yeah. That that notion of well being. So in a business context, it's a matter of I'm not introducing new risk. I know I'm being I know my needs and objectives are being taken care of. I'm not sticking my neck out. Um uh, you know, I'm not wasting money on something. 
those can all be elements of happiness. Right. And that's where number two comes in. Happiness. So we see everyone seeks happiness and you're right on the mark. Number two, happiness is relative. Yeah. Okay. We all understand happiness differently. Thus, we place certain values on certain things. What would bring happiness to one person would be absolutely meaningless to someone else or might even cause them unhappiness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I run these small uh, seminars uh, sometimes, and so I'll, I'll do a quick exercise to, to make this point. And there might be 15 of us in the room. That's it. And I'll say, how many of you in this room absolutely, positively just love travel. You would travel all the time if you could. You just absolutely, and you know, uh, half the room will raise their hand. Sure. Then I'll say, how many of you, you enjoy travel and you would do it, you know, once or twice a year, make a, a, a vacation out of it and really enjoy it and get, you know, you wouldn't do it all the time, but you really do enjoy it. Just about the rest of the, the room will raise their hand. And then I'll say, how many of you absolutely just hate travel. If you do it, it's only because you have to, but if you could, you'd never step on a plane again. And myself and maybe one other person will raise their hand. (laughs) Now that is in a small room. We're not talking a 5,000 person conference. Okay. We're talking a 15 people in a room and you've got three totally different ways that people would relate to happiness. Now here's the thing though, as human beings, we all see life from our own unique perspective, our personal belief systems, often uh, an unconscious operating system. Okay. But the people who love, just love to travel, probably look at me and that one other person and say, how could they not just love to travel? The adventure and meeting new people and new foods and experiences and the exotic places. Oh, all right, right. Yeah. And I'm looking at these people who love travel and thinking, how in the world can they possibly want to have to go through planning and packing, going to the airport and sitting in the stoop for a few hours and having to then unpack and go and have to go see these other places instead of just <laughs> sitting around and reading a book and blah, blah. You're right. And, and, going, so, and going to the restaurant that you know and ordering the same yeah, thing. <laughs> I go to every set, right. And so, so you know, it, it, so it's an interesting thing. And this is what we do when we sell. Because let's say, have you ever heard a salesperson, I'm sure you have, say something like, oh, what I really love about this is the, well, great, you know, that you love this about it. The important thing is, does the other person find it to be of value? Exactly. And I think, and I think the, I think the funny trap there is that very often the salesperson says, well, here's what I love about this. Instead of saying, here's what some of our other clients like about it. I don't know if that's a fit for you. Uh, uh, Let the uh, other person get drawn into it or mm -hmm. indicate that, you know what, that's not so interesting to me and just get to the truth. I often say that effective selling is not about persuasion or coercion. It's about getting the truth as quickly as possible. Mm. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's, you know, that's perfect. And it's, and part of it is understanding that you are not your customer. Yeah. They have their own things that would bring them ha- closer to happiness and you have yours and theirs is the one that's important and the one that you need to discover. So we've got everyone seeks happiness and happiness is relative. Now, number three in Harry's list is that resources are limited. Now, please don't confuse that with lack mentality. No, we live in an abundant universe. That's not the issue. However, individually, we all have a limited amount of 
time in our life or time in the day, time in a, you know, so many hours, uh, minutes in an hour and seconds in a minute and, and so forth. We all have a limited amount of knowledge, a limited amount of energy, a limited amount of money, a limited amount of so forth and so on, which means that as human beings, we're constantly having to make choices. Okay. And, and Bob, so how, do, now, so how does that then tie into, so now we, now we have this idea of, of everyone seeks happiness, happiness is relative, resources are limited, and now ultimately someone's making a decision. Mm-hmm. And they're making that decision on all three criteria. So in other words, they're going to make a decision to buy or not to buy based on whether they believe that that action will bring them further away from or closer to happiness as they understand happiness and based on the limited choices they believe they have. Now, once we understand this as sales professionals and as leaders, because the people who we lead are making their decisions to follow us based on that, those criteria as well. Once we understand this, Ian, then we never again have to wonder why ultimately a person made a certain decision. We know it was because ultimately it was going to bring them closer to happiness and based on the, uh, those other two. Yep. And and talk about how, because I know there's something that, that, that we had discussed, which is how Harry Brown, how he, how he describes profit, Mm. because Mm. the notion of how people perceive profit, we often think of it as dollars and cents, but, but, but it's more than that, right? Money is simply one form of profit. It's one aspect of, of profit. See, we can, if I was to say to a group of people, you base your decisions on the profit motive, right? Uh, you'd have people go, oh, no, 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 money is never, I don't know, right? And of course, they'd be right, okay? But that's only one form of profit. Sure. Um, I'll, I'll make the point that, that as human beings, we are, in fact, driven by the profit motive, but we need to understand that money is only one aspect of profit. So what is profit? Again, let's define our terms so we know what we're saying. And again, I I get this from from Harry's wisdom. And Harry defined profit as increase in happiness. Profit is an increase in happiness, the result of exchanging one situation for a better situation. That's it. Profit is an increase in happiness, the result of exchanging one situation for a better situation. Profit can be financial, physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, relational. Uh, For example, you know, let's take this out of the business uh, um, sense. Uh, Two people are single, okay, uh, and they decide to join into a monogamous relationship. Well, their one situation was single. They're deciding based on seeking happiness, based on how they understand happiness and understanding resources are limited. So they have to make choices. They believe that by entering into a monogamous committed relationship with the other person, they will have more happiness. That's the profit motive. Okay. And it's it's a fascinating thing because I want to touch on something, which is, 
in this in this in this research I was talking about of how people make decisions, which is what problems to solve, why do I need it, and what's the like the outcome. In essence, the profit is the difference between the the impact of the problem for them as they perceive it and the state they reach on the result side. So it's that gap between the two is in essence the profit. So oftentimes when people say, oh, well, gee, I've got a client who's just focused about on price. I'll say to them, well, so let's say you were talking to a vendor and that vendor was entirely focused on your results and what you would achieve. And the other vendor wasn't. Which one would you rather deal with? They say, well, the one who was focused on the results. Okay. Would you be willing to pay more for it? And most people will say yes. And some people will say, well, I don't know. And I say, okay, let me phrase it a different way. How much less would you have to pay for it to be a good deal, but you don't get the results that you need? Right? And that, that delta of between the, the, the people's perception of the problem and their perception of the outcome or result of whatever it is they're making a decision to do, that, as I understand it, is in essence what Harry Brown was trying to encapsulate in this idea of profit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, and it's interesting too, because he, he, he had something else he called the universal fallacy. And he said this universal fallacy is the misconception that is at the root of every mistake. And that's the belief, the false belief that an individual would willingly accept something unprofitable to himself or herself. Yeah. Again, profit not being just, and I, I you know, keep repeating this, profit not necessarily being money, but anything that then put a gun to someone's head, they'll accept something that's unprofitable to them. Okay. But, well, but, but, but guess what? Their, their, their thought at that time is that if I don't do this, then there's a pretty, pretty good chance this person's pulling the trigger. Right. So in that moment in time, they're taking something that may not be in their long-term best interest, but short term is profitable compared to the bullet. Exactly. Exactly. But you know, when, when, when we enter into a, a relationship with anyone and think that they're doing things for our reasons and not their reasons, that's when we're really falling victim to that ultimate fallacy. Yeah. And so, and it's such oh. it's 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 such it's such great wisdom, and 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 as I said at the beginning of this, that I always learn something from you, and this is this is no exception. And if I will tell my audience that if you're one of the eleven people in the world who has who has not already read the Go Giver and the series <laughs> of books that that, that you wrote, um, and the Go Giver, obviously you co-authored with John David Mann. Gotcha. Um, and, and I say that because if I didn't, I know that you would, um, people often say, Oh, Ian wrote, wrote same side selling. I say, Oh, that's nice. And I'll sometimes forget to mention my co-author Jack Quarles. And of course, everyone knows that all the best parts were written by Jack. (laughs) Well, he says, he says the same about you. (laughs) But, but if, but if you're someone who has not read this series, you need to, um, and, and Bob, What's the best way for people to connect with you, learn more about what you're doing? Obviously, we'll have Berg.com um, and, the, and the link to your site in the show notes. But um, how can people stay up to speed with what you're doing? You know, probably the best way, in is uh, just to go to Berg, B-U-R-G.com. Yep. 
and uh, they can, you know, they can get chapter one or excerpts of any of the books. They can catch the blog where we've been doing some video series, short videos a couple of times a week on the blog and so forth. Uh, and they can connect with me on social media through that site. So that's Berg.com is probably the best place. That's perfect. I, I, as I said, I, I can't thank you enough for, um, for sharing your wisdom and, um, and it's just always a pleasure to talk to you. And so thank you, my friend, for sharing your time with my audience. Well, you're such a great friend, teacher, mentor, and just really one of life's good guys. So thank you for being you. Keep, keep being Ian. I appreciate you saying that, Bob. Thanks again. I always learn something when I speak with Bob. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of what I think you can use and apply right away. So first, remember that people buy for their reasons, not for our reasons. And for that reason, think of sales or influence as pulling rather than pushing. Because when we push, we get resistance. and we pull, people tend to come with us. I also love the way Bob talks about this notion of influence in the terms of human nature. And this notion of everyone seeks happiness, happiness is relative, and profit isn't always dollars and cents. It's the difference between the problem you're facing and what the outcome looks like. And if we think that way, we're going to be thinking on the same side with our customers. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic I should cover or a guest I should have on the program, just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. And please check out the Same Side Selling Academy at samesidesellingacademy.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, especially your customer. Bye now.